Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm your host, Takeshi, and with me I have Santos, and we take two pieces of media, and we take a deep dive on them. Kind of. We just talk about it. Kind of. Well, <laughs> Takeshi does more of a deep dive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm more oh. along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> for the ride, exactly. Normally we talk about anime. We'll move on to something else sooner or later. So know. we decided to talk about Love and Lies, which I happened to find on Amazon. And I watched the first episode. It seems so interesting. I told Santos, we should just watch this. And it's about the near future in Japan because the birth rate is really low over there because nobody wants to make babies. They just want to have fun in Tokyo. And so basically the government assigns your partner when you are 16. And by the time you're 18, you should be married and have at least 2.1 kids. And that's, Wait, in two years? Yeah, yeah. In a couple of years. Yeah. I think that's what that's it is. Fast. You should okay. at least have one kid. All right. <laughs> They're trying to up their teen pregnancy rates. Yes, yes. They're trying to up their rates in babies, period. And so Uh they go through this whole entire survey and through science and stuff, they assign your perfect partner, which is kind of weird. I mean, there is arranged marriage in Japan, and I guess they still kind of do it over there, too. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. My uncle, who I'm named after... His wife was arranged. Oh. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with arranged marriages, especially with family involved, because they know you pretty well, and then they know the other family pretty well, and it could work. Especially if you want that lifestyle, if you want family. Yeah. Then you guys are both going in on it, like being like, yep, this is weird of similarities and culturally, and (laughs) we want to raise a family in that tradition. So that could work. But this is like more sci-fi and government. Yeah, it's in the near future. It's probably going to happen in Japan sooner or later. You think so? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the way their birth rate is going, yeah, it's probably going to happen sooner or later. Are they paying people yet to have kids? Because in Germany, you get paid leave for a year, I think, to encourage birth rates. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think mm-hmm. that's just normal in Europe, though, right? Um, but it helps <laughs> with the birth rate. Yeah, right, right. Um, I don't I know. know if Japan will do that. I doubt it. They're all about working. Yeah. They can't have kids. Everyone's working. <laughs> yeah. Too stressed. It's a pretty strange series because I first, I thought it was going to be a nice true love story and it's turning into kind of this weird, kinky 
teen rompy kind of show. Yes. <laughs> First of all, this is not typical no. how we find anime. Like, well, yes, typical like Tehachi maybe surfs around and finds something, but usually he watches most of it and then he goes, oh, check this out. This is the first time he was like, I don't know, it might work out. It seems really interesting and the first episode really does hook you. Yes, but I'm usually not going in blind like this. So I just want to say that was stressful for me. (laughs) (laughs) I think I watched these because I like them. And second, it's in Japanese. There's no English dubs. I know I should watch it subtitled in Japanese because that's the way it's supposed to be. But I'm too busy sometimes to do that. I'd rather just watch it and just kind of take it in. If it's really good, then I'll watch it in Japanese. So I watch it a couple times myself. Oh, also, I was surprised by, I was like, what? I have to read this one. And so (laughs) I can't just be lazy and like passively watching. So there's two strikes against already. So I was like, nobody surprises for me. But also, yes, I only got to maybe episode four. You made it to episode four. I think so. It gets pretty steamy. I had to stop around four and it gets weirder and weirder I, I got to the point where we won't give anything away because it's weird twists and turns kind of like the whole time and but it's just focused on one boy though what's his name yeah yukari yeah follows one boy mostly he's the main character and but he's in love with this girl he's been in love with her that he grew up with since, yeah that he grew up with since like fifth grade or something along that yeah. line because they shared an eraser that was really funny yeah Masaki. So as soon as they profess their love for each other, the government comes by and gives Ikari a letter saying, nope, we got your assigned wife here. Off the girl. (laughs) Yeah. So they're getting steamy. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, now here's your assigned wife. And then... And it opens up where they're talking about true love and all this other stuff. So I was like, oh, this is going to be really good. It's it's something I really want. (laughs) And yes. it just turns into this weird love triangle, kind of, because Yukari's assigned partner, Ridiana or something. Yeah, and she's cute. She doesn't want anything to do with him, really. But No, she seems kind of immature. Yeah, she's very immature because she was in the hospital for so long, and so she has no social skills. Yeah, he does like that. They're kind of like, they're almost instant friends because there's no filter to her. Yeah, so she's very he blunt. Can be comfortable around her. But he didn't seem attracted to her. He thought she was cute. Like he didn't fall in love with her instantly or anything like that. It's so strange because it seems like she does kind of fall for him in a way, but not really. But then yeah. there's this other kind of triangle with his best with friend. The other friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what, and what makes it I think what makes it not cute we always talk about how we like our cute anime is like the cute stuff to us has like all this inner emotional turmoil and drama being played out yes. and this one no it's very physical it, it's not taking us to like these dramatic highs and lows of inner workings and there's no piano contest and so (laughs) it's just focused on the relationships and the sexual tension so that's kind of like where it's it's kind of real in a way in that aspect but there there is no true love there's no relationship building or anything 
There is just blam. I loved you since fifth grade. Blam. We should make out blam. Oh shoot. I might get married soon. (laughs) Yeah. And then, yeah, it's all about like the relationship and hooking up part versus the magical other stuff. There are some parts that are kind of touching, but it's not really there at all. No. How many episodes did you watch? I made it to six episodes. I just finished the sixth. I think I'll finish it because it's only 12 episodes. Let's go into the details here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just wanted to talk about how much we did. What like you it. find out? What you okay, find it's out? written by Misawa. <laughs> I don't know what else she's published because it, there was nothing else or he. It, it started in 2014 of August and it's still going. It's about uh-huh. 10 manga and then... The anime, which we're talking about, was released in 2017 in July, and it ended in September 19th, 2017. And it's only 12 episodes. So that's not bad. And that's it? It's just one season? Yep, it's just one season. I might have to watch it because it's kind of bad. It's so bad, I have to keep on going. Yeah, I could see that. Okay. I'd just like to know, like, you finished it and then let me know if it's worth it. (laughs) I don't think it's going to be worth it. And there's actually a live action series, too. Oh, my God. The live action just would be, like, soft porn. (laughs) Yeah. You're just teenagers making out. (laughs) It's just so weird. Because it seems like Yukari's best friend is secretly in love with him, mm-hmm. but he knows that he'll never get him or something. And I just, I don't know yeah. how I feel about this series. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. No. Really? Unless <laughs> nope. they're really into that weird 90210 kind of style uh, drama. The drama's really light. Yeah, if people are into more like steamy, sexual tension-y type stuff, and they're like, I need some smutty teenage stuff, I'd be like, I got you. (laughs) (laughs) This is the one. Yeah, for sure. No, you're very right about that. But they don't do anything at the front. I feel like the other ones, we actually, they would be talking about destiny and I don't know, just magic. Right. Like they don't, that's all lacking. That's our drug. Yeah, that's where it seemed like it was going to get to. It never did. Yeah. And that's what was really mm-hmm. upsetting about the series because I love the animation. It looks like kind of hand-drawn. It's not really overdone or anything. It's almost kind of like colored and stuff too so it looks like it's really etched Mm -hmm. that's what i really like about it this is our first series that we saw on amazon and i don't like amazon too much yeah it's very janky yeah that's a good (laughs) word for it definitely sometimes we're having trouble finding a movie or a series to watch like that one movie your name I couldn't find it for the life of me. You had to send me a link to it. Yeah, the search is garbage. The search is garbage. The search function on Amazon Prime is garbage. Yeah. And then content is moving around in a weird way. Right. And then the other thing that drove me nuts is sometimes the arrow when you full screened wouldn't go away. (laughs) That drives me insane. That's not good. Yeah. And like I had to tuck it in the the corner. and stuff the content isn't good and then the vehicle you need to use isn't that great yeah maybe we'll do your name next Um, i don't know oh yeah we'll talk about it in our meeting 
Yeah. <laughs> so I'll give this definite <laughs> thumbs down for now, but I'm going to complete it because for some reason I am a little hooked to it because it does get weirder and weirder. Well, it's kind of like a train wreck or something. I don't know. It's a it's bit of a train that. wreck, yes. So sometimes once you start, it's like, I got to know what happens. I have to see what happens to the mess. Yeah. And sometimes it gets so oddly steamy. You're like, what? This, that really just happened? <laughs> Well, some of it was making very tense because it was setups where I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no. Like, exactly. what is going? And then nothing would happen. So you're like, thank goodness. I didn't want to see that. So um, right, right. yeah, there's a lot of suspense. Well, so did you get to the camping part where they go camping? <laughs> no. I think that's the next no, episode that you're camping. on. Oh They'll go camping okay. and that gets really weird. Yeah, it's such a weird series. Who's the target audience for this? Is it like teenagers? Maybe teenagers. I don't know. Okay. I have no clue. Hmm. Maybe adults. Yeah, creeps. Anyway. <laughs> I, yeah, it, I get this really creepy vibe out of it. We could discuss that one where uh, Ikari's best friend kisses him while he's sleeping. Yeah. What yeah. the hell? I don't know. And the girls are very forward. I thought that was interesting. I like that part. They're not... Yeah, they're not oh, passive. They're very much going for what they want, so... <laughs> I like okay. that. It's a little advanced in forward thinking in that part mm -hmm. in the anime. Yeah. But still, yeah, I can't really recommend it for everybody. I wouldn't. No. Unless you like that kind of stuff, then fire away. We got one yeah. for you. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it was an adventure. Yeah. The music was just nothing blah. I really don't remember any of it. I mean, I just watched episode six. Oh boy. You're like drawing a blank on the music. Yeah, and that's really weird because usually I can just, it pokes out for me. Yeah. Yeah, just, it's bad. Like I said, but for some reason, it's so compelling. And uh, you see, for some animes, there's always this one part where I always have to stop and I have to think about it. And then I'll just kind of move on and still do it. And still watch it yeah. or whatever. Sometimes when it comes to the conflict within their relationship, I stop watching it because I feel really sad that they're arguing. Yes. <laughs> I'll just go on. And so it'll take me a few days and I'll just kind of soldier through. This, on the other hand, is such a disaster that it's like, I don't know if I should watch anymore. I don't know if I could do it. And then I'll just keep on going. Yeah. Well, I think it's also the time. We're locked indoors. <laughs> There's <laughs> yes. not much to do. So why not some trashy TV? Like, <laughs> Yes. It's this or Tiger King. And I'd rather watch this any day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. So. There. That's okay. There we go. These short teasers are excerpts from comedian Aiden Park's book, The Art of Being Yay. Think self-empowerment with a comedic twist. These are tough times we're all going through. Who couldn't use a little mental health wellness and laughter? For more of The Art of Being Yay, visit AidenPark.com. That's A-I-D-A-N-P-A-R-K.com. Sponsored by The Laugh Cellar and Storygram Podcast Network. Let me tell you something else. Anger. People do this stuff with anger, too. People are angry. Don't be so angry. It's not virtuous. What are you talking about? What are you talking What? This drives me crazy. If we are cavemen and, you know, we're building a home and then somebody tries to come in and take our baby, we're going to get mad. 
Because we're defending what is ours. Anger is a defense for what is our right, what is ours. And it is an emotion that is actually important. It is an important emotion that needs to be honored, not made an enemy of. What are we supposed to do? Oh, just go out and take my baby. No, come on. If someone cheats on you, you're supposed to be like, oh, I should send them love anyway. No, 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 that's wrong. You should be pissed because someone has violated your rights. You let yourself feel that anger and you respond accordingly because something is off and you honor that, you know? And we are back and we are going to talk about an album that I pretty much grew up with through my teenage years. This has always been around. It's Nine Inch Nails' uh, Downward Spiral. Elaine, have you ever heard this album before? I had not heard that album before. Oh, my goodness. Like, Ooh. obviously, I know Nine Inch Nails. You I know, know Downward Spiral. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of the songs of off of it. Because I grew up and they were on the radios. It was everywhere. It was like, everywhere. The sound was everywhere. So, yeah. But I never purchased and listened to this album before. Oh, okay. Okay. During that time. Well, in the collection of CDs in your room, in your house, there's yes. at least two different versions or three different versions of this. Why was I listening to it on Spotify? I don't on know. My phone. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. Terrible. That's okay, terrible. I'll look. Yeah, I have like four boxes full of CDs in front of my CD player. So. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'll go look through them. Yeah, it's in there. It's in there. Uh, original. Yeah, yeah I'll have original. to listen to it from that. Okay, so this was released in March 8th, 1994. So it is 26 years old. Do you know anything about I don't. This, I do okay, not. Okay. So, so I'm really excited to learn more. So it was recorded at 10050 Cielo Drive. Does that mean anything to you? No. That is Sharon Tate's old house. Uh, you know what? That bothers me, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> so it was recorded at that place. He bought it. They named it Lay Pig, named after what they wrote with Sharon Tate's blood on the door that said pig. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. That's very dark. Oh, yeah, yeah. The whole entire reason why they decided to kill Sharon Tate and her friends at that place, too, is because Manson wanted to start the race wars, which he called Helter Skelter. When he bought it, uh, Sharon Tate's sister came over and kind of gave him a piece of her mind and made him realize how much of a dick he was being and made him cry because he wasn't really all about death. He kept it for about 18 months and then they destroyed the property. He took the door and put it on his other studio in New Orleans. Oh, wow. I heard a lot of weird, I mean, some urban legends about that place. I heard just the vibes in general was really weird there. Yeah. And, and they recorded Broken, Portrait of American Family, that's a Marilyn Manson album, and then this album. Okay. Yeah. It was inspired by David Bowie's Low and Pink Floyd The Wall. Mm. The art was done by an artist named Russell Mills, and he used a bunch of metal and different types of material, like copper and wood, all this other weird stuff. And he calls it Wound. And it was produced by Mark Ellis, or Flood, and it was actually the last project he did with Trent Reznor, which is really sad because I think this is so well produced. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine that this would be the last. Yeah, it was due to creative differences. This 
actually was inspired by when he was going on tour on Lollapalooza during Pretty Hate Machine. And they got this crazy negative vibe at this hotel. And so he created this character. He called him Mr. Self-Destruct. He also got a lot of inspiration from his bandmate, Richard, who was going to leave the band and they called him Piggy. Oh, is that where this... Okay. Richard started Filter. And also... Okay, we're going to go into that a little bit later. (laughs) I know so much about this album. So this is from... 1994. Yes, yes. And so the producer worked with them up until this? Yes. Like all the albums? Yes. How many albums were before this? Just one and an EP. Just one. It was Pretty Hate okay. Machine and Broken. So this is their but second. Flood, if you look at Flood's catalog, it's actually pretty amazing. He's produced yeah. New Order, U2, some Ministry. I mean, anything in the 90s and 80s that you possibly liked, he might have produced. Nick gave him the bad seeds. Okay. He's produced so much. I had a question. Did you ever see Nine Inch Nails live? Oh, yes. I saw him during this era. It was just so amazing. Well, that tour in general, the reason why it was so big and bombastic is because he got paid so much money at Woodstock that he was able to fund his whole entire tour and make it bigger. Wow. Since Low and Pink Floyd the Wall was the inspiration, that means that there was a theme going along in this album. Uh-huh. So it's about someone who sheds everything around him to potential nothingness through the career and religion. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of goes to potential suicide. I don't mm. know if you noticed that. That's why there's always all these other little things going on through the whole entire album. Yeah. Let's talk about who helped out with this album, too. Chris Frierna, he did the drum programming, which he went on and produced one of my other favorite albums, which is Rasputina, How He Quit the Forest. Oh, cool. And also drummer Stefan Perkins from Jeans Addiction helped out with some of the drums. He did I Do Not Want This. And then Adrian Bello, from the guitarist from King Crimson, helped out with the guitars. So I don't know if you knew that. No, I don't know anything about this. I like when it's listening to it, there's so much. And so it's nice to hear that there's a lot of collaboration going on with these different musicians. And then it's cool when you find out, oh, then they went off and did these other amazing, you know, projects. And this album in general, it was so strange because after this album came out, a lot of these rock bands all of a sudden wanted to have a downward spiral album. It inspired Guns N' Roses, Chinese Democracy, Axl Rose. Actually broke up his band, hired Trent Reznor's live band to do a lot of the recordings and stuff. Wow. It broke up Danzig. The the album Black Acid Devil, it Uh definitely does sound like downward spiral. And then Skinny Puppy, their label wanted them to sound like Nine Inch Nails, and it totally ruined them. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And the process is from that. You should never try to sound like somebody else. Well, the label wanted them to sound like that. I know. That's a bad label move. Like, <laughs> Right. It also inspired David Bowie's One Outside. During that time, they went on tour together, too, for Further Downward the Spiral, and they did some amazing songs together. They sang some Nine Inch Nails songs together, and they also sang some David Bowie songs together. And one of the songs they did that was a Nine Inch Nails song was Hurt. So it's David Bowie and Trent Reznor They went on tour together. Hurt? Yeah. It was so good. That's, 
That's crazy. Oh, God. And it, I like it was that. such a tour. I like that Trent Reznor was inspired by David Bowie, and then David Bowie became inspired by Trent Reznor. That's a really cool creative connection to have. Anyway, it's an amazing song and an amazing collaboration. And then, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. And then Trent Reznor during this remixed I'm Afraid of Americans. And he was in his video where he plays the stock. I remember that. And here's a little bit of this. amazing. Trent Reznor always said he was inspired by him, but there is a song that sounds very similar to David Bowie's. It was on Scary Monsters, and I think it's the instrumental, A Warm Place. (laughs) 
ready for this one? <laughs> so this is David Bowie's version. Anyway, so that was inspired by David Bowie. Oh, wow. The original yeah. song and so was, was, that, was what we just heard. Yeah, but was that before the tour or after? Oh, that was before the tour. Before. Yeah, so it's like this he's is during Downward Spiral. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He just, Trent Reznor just said he just happened to write it and then realized that he ripped them off on accident. <laughs> <laughs> when you listen to something so much, probably. David Bowie went outside and one of the tracks was actually on Lost Highway. It's called I'm Deranged. So we're still talking about just downward spiral. Yes. Let me tell you that I was excited because obviously I liked Nine Inch Nails from just the pop culture aspect of it being on the radio and in yeah. probably in movies and all over the place. Like it was just around. So I was like, oh, this will be exciting to listen to. And so I turned it on while I was working. Like I was like, oh, I'll turn it on while I'm doing this other thing. <laughs> and then I just stopped because I was like, no, this is an album you can't multitask. <laughs> no. <laughs> you no. And that made me think of Bowie because Bowie's albums, they're so complete. You just have to listen to the whole album. You can't be doing other things and thinking about other things. 
So that was my first impression of this was like, oh, it's like a Bowie album. Like it's it so complete. Is. It's, it's not even like I told you it was inspired by Bowie or anything Yeah, no, like I didn't know that. So it was really exciting that, and also just like the idea of like a concept or, you know, a character, like right. it is very complete, like a story. It's hard to say, oh, I have a favorite song because you can't pull one out because they're all connected. They're all sense. pretty connected. Yeah. And there's little motifs that do carry on through the album. And then some of the lyrics do kind of go on through other songs. I don't know if you recognize that or not. A little bit. So I gave it my full attention. And then, but it's also intense. So it's not something. It's very intense. It's it's heavy and intense and layered. And I really liked it. You liked it? Oh, yeah. I loved it. I was like, it's it's a piece of art. And I thought I was a little bit worried it'd sound dated, to be honest. And I thought maybe it'd be cheesy. Like there's possibilities of it being, because it's from 94. So I was like, is it going to feel dated or something like that? And it doesn't. For some strange reason, it it doesn't. And that's what's so amazing. I listened to other albums in that era. And Mm -hmm. some of it does really sound dated. Yeah, the like production's it's still good, really bad. Like, uh, the songwriting is kind of mediocre or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to listen to. Where this, yeah. it doesn't do that. It still sounds very current, and the production's just amazing. Yeah, like the layers of sound in it. Even when it sounds chaotic at points, it's not. There's order to it, like this beautiful layering that's happening. At least that's That's very I, interesting you say that because that's what he really went out of his way to do. He just didn't want to make it a metal album or yeah. just a hard industrial album. He didn't want to get tougher and tougher like Ministry did. He just wanted even the guitars not to sound like real guitars. They sounded really weird and metallic. It's the only way I could explain mm-hmm. it. They didn't sound like real guitar sounds at all. This, the way they would record the drums and then they would put it into samplers just to get that bit rate down a little bit and then they just program the drums like that or they'd play the drums. This is actually kind of the rock album that ruined rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, one other Bowie thing I had picked up on just on my own. What's the song where there's piano in it? It might be March of the Pigs. So good. And also, I love, as we know, I like loud music. So I like yelling. I like loud stuff. But there's something when it's crafted where there's room for you and it just doesn't blast at you and not let you in. The layering and pauses and mixing it up in a different way makes it so addictive. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. He didn't even really know that Closer was going to be this kind of frat party anthem and titty bar. How did that get yeah, and it's all over the radio. <laughs> How well, is that a radio? <laughs> he, he didn't know that was going to happen because he said it's not like I want to f*** you like an animal. It's about how he's being a dick. He's like, well, I want to f*** you, blah, blah, blah. But it's not like supposed to be all sensual and everything. It's like the sarcastic, like I'm being an a- to you. I'm going to make you do this to me kind of a thing. Yeah. But for some reason, it's got turned around. <laughs> they didn't really get it. It's an amazing song, though. Yeah, 
And so that wasn't his intention. And he was a little irritated, but he was like, well, guess I'll have to go along with it. <laughs> and then the other song, obviously people know a lot of songs off this album, whether you realize it or not. Yeah. But with Hurt, hearing him and David Bowie yeah. do that song, but then it re-went crazy when Johnny Cash covered it. Oh, But I don't think he was excited about that at first, right? He gave him permission to do it. You know, he gave him his blessings. Uh-huh. And then when he heard it, he cried a little bit because he knew it was like kind of letting his baby go into someone else. It's someone else's song now. We should play a little piece right here. I hurt myself today. To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole What I was thinking was, at first when I heard he wasn't super down with someone covering it, or even Johnny Cash, I was like, weird. But then when just now hearing he worked the song with David Bowie, it's like, oh, well, it's his song. It's like this piece of art for him that's part of this album. Right. And so, of course, he has attachments to it. But I do think Johnny Cash did it justice in a totally different way. He took it and he owned it. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but I also, re-listening to the original, I wasn't like, oh, I like the other one better. Okay, you know what I mean? I still... It's kind of an interesting song because it's supposed to be about the character, the protagonist, how he commits suicide, but it fails. And he's contemplating if he's going to try to commit suicide again. Yeah, Yeah, it's just (laughs) so heavy. Johnny Cash's (laughs) version of it is just like him going, okay, I'm on my way out. (laughs) This is me going. Goodbye. Yeah, having such an older voice do it. And someone who had been through a lot in their life, like Johnny Cash, where you're just like, oh, it just brings something else to it. And I think a little bit after the video was released, his wife passed away. And then three months later, Johnny Cash passed away, which was really, really sad. And that was actually Rick Rubin's idea to cover that song. He was working with Johnny Cash a lot, right? In the During that era. We're going to have to talk about Johnny Cash in that era, that specific era of Rick Rubin, Johnny Cash. Maybe it'll be the next one because that is... Yeah, that'd be fun. Oh my God, it's so good. So cool. It's so good. It's so interesting. (laughs) I love the history of that stuff. Yes. Well, look at how this album just kept going, right? Like the influence. So it's so cool. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, I'm not even done with details about this yet. Oh, <laughs> it makes me so what else? giddy. What else? <laughs> <laughs> okay, the, the samples that they used in it. Okay, so the song Closer, the drum loop was uh-huh. actually sampled from Iggy Pop nightclubbing from The Idiot. Anyway, and then, of course, the closer version, he processed it more and stuff. And then Mr. Self-Destruct, the intro, if you're curious, which we might have to watch because I've never seen this film. 
It was from a sample from a movie called THX 1138, which was George Lucas's college film right before he did American Graffiti. And so that is actually from THX. The screams that plays throughout The Becoming is actually from a giant robot in robot jocks when it falls onto the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) And who's finding all of these? What? It's just in there. No, I mean, like, is Trent Reznor putting this together? Or part of the team? I didn't know who's like the mastermind. Yeah, it's Trent Reznor, probably. Reptile has that one weird sound here. Let me try to find it really quick, which is, it's a really incredible song anyway, but... It was actually from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So there's a sound of this girl falling into a ditch, and he used it in this one part of the song. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What else? And this really did push him into legendary status, and I don't think he's ever topped this album again, and I don't think he really wants to. After this, I mean, everything else really falls kind of wayside comparatively. I mean, I could always just listen to this album. It's got so many earworms in this. It's just unreal. The song Rumor. does this weird thing where it goes back and forth between stereo and they push everything to either the left or right side. And that, especially during this one part of the song where they would have the drums and bass on one side, the guitars and vocals on the other side. That was a total 60s way of mixing. And then he he even admits this. He rips off a Pink Floyd song for the guitar solo. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that part. The fact that this album, the way it's just panning things. So it just has no problem with just having this one thing where they're, where they're whispering something into your left ear. Or they have this something else in the right ear. Even Hurt, which is their most popular song, on the left side is just completely distorted and kind of just deteriorating. Where the other side is just kind of clear. Mm-hmm. Hurt in general was recorded at this one studio, and I guess it was done with just three takes, and Trent Reznor didn't want anything done to it, really. He just wanted to make sure it was all done in one take, pretty much. He didn't want anybody to edit it or anything. So this was before 
major audio editing with Pro Tools and stuff like that. He was kind of the one that kind of started all this. Okay. But that makes sense for that song. Exactly. That's what's so cool about this album, man. If you haven't listened to it, I believe you should listen to it. It's this album that's very important from the, the 90s, I think, personally. Definitely. I think so. I think it really influenced music. Yeah. After that, after it came out. For so. better and worse, it did influence yeah. music. <laughs> yes. Definitely. It kind of <laughs> did usher in that whole entire like new metal stuff, too, and other kind of bands like that. And after this album especially in the 2000s everything was really processed and they never really sounded the same as it did since then. yeah you know everything's all recorded on pro tools nowadays nothing's done on reel to reel everything's heavily edited to this extreme to where it just sounds very pristine there's no mistakes done on it where this album it sounds like there was purposely there was mistakes in there and they left it in there which is yeah. Well, it makes it more human. Yeah, it's like or this, there's a connection you can have with it, or emotional. Like it's like that's really more interesting to listen to. So, is there any favorite songs that you would like to talk about here? Do you think it sounded ahead of its time when it came out? Because when you say '94, it seems ahead. Yeah, it's far ahead of yeah. its time. Definitely. This album, some of the songs are still on way later into the late 90s was still going strong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so any favorite songs? Uh, Maybe. I can't. I don't know. It's hard because, like I said, I liked it as an album. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to start right here then. Fine. Yeah, you start. (laughs) Uh, Oh, boy. Well, Mr. Uh, Okay, I'm going to go with Heresy. Because whenever there's an extremely yes. religious person that talks to me about God and stuff, all of a sudden the chorus goes through my head. <laughs> that is a terrific song. Yeah, and that song is actually a little bit more relevant now than ever because people are so (laughs) hooked to their smartphones and stuff that they just kind of forget about religion where way back when religion was so relevant because of everybody was just dying before they were 30. Yeah. During the dark ages. But that is one of the highlights on the album. I did like that song a lot. We already talked about March of the Pigs. Reptile is really, really good, but... Okay, David Bowie does an amazing version of Reptile, and Peter Murphy in Nine Chanels does a version of Reptile together, and it's so good. Oh, I want to hear those. Uh. That sounds good. Trail of honey to show me 
Amazing. I don't know if you heard that. Yes. Uh, that was good. No, it was really uh, amazing. And then it makes me think of all the, has many of the songs off of this been covered by a lot of people? Uh, maybe closer. Just, well, Hurt, of course. Yeah. Probably. Hurt. Can't even yeah. think of right now. And I remember when I was a teenager, when this first came out, this couldn't stop listening to it. And it might have been uh-huh. because of meth or whatever. But <laughs> but it's so strange with that it was it was almost pop at one point. And to think about that now, retrospectively, it's just it's such a strange album to be this pop album that teenagers all listen to. They just loved it, even though I don't think they got it really. And for me what? Yeah, what's up? I just feel like the nineties was like darker, like it grunge was. and darker and I miss um, the 90s more cynical. So much. Right. Yeah. So it is interesting to think that this was the popular music of the time. Uh, definitely. So it's pretty cool. There there was a part where I was kind of making fun of it because it was just so popular because I just don't like things that are too popular. But I always did go back to this album. And then when I was going to recording school, I just happened to start listening to his catalog again. And this album in general just was so amazing. And I just kind of picked up more things more and more and appreciated it along the yeah, line. Yeah, I think I appreciate it more now, like listening to it all the way through for the first time now. Only because <laughs> I'm a little bit younger than you. And so it was more of a just a couple songs on the radio a lot. And and then the people who liked Nine Inch Nails were just so obsessed that, and I was like really into write girl music. So I was like, whatever. Like, <laughs> so I don't know if I'd really have given it the proper time, but I really did enjoy right. it. And I would totally recommend it. I think it is, there's certain albums that are just art. And so this is artwork. Oh yeah. Yeah. It definitely is a piece of art. It's just, it goes, it's just out there. The remix album, Further Downward to Spiral, and it's what he went on tour with David Bowie with has one of my favorite Aphex Twins songs on here. It was called At the Heart of It All.
such a good song. So this was which album? So this is like a remix? Yeah, it's a remix album called Further Down the Spiral. Okay, so this is pretty interesting. Trent Reznor had his own independent label at the time. It was called Nothing Records. And he had some of his favorite bands on his label. He had Coil, and they remixed Closer. And it's just six songs written by Coil. We're going to have to cover a Coil album one these days. And then he had Meat Beat Manifesto remix some of his songs, and he had them on his label, Square Pusher. And further down the spiral, yeah, Aphex Twin happened to remix a couple songs on here. And definitely that's one of my favorite Nine Inch Nails songs. It, it's, it's just a song he just happened to write for it. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the <laughs> remix for anything. Yeah. Which I guess he used to do a lot back in the day. Talk about Aphex Twin some other time, but... <laughs> Yes, we'll have to. Yeah, so Further Down with the Spiral is a pretty good album, too. It's definitely out there. And they have different versions of Eraser and Hurt. Highly recommended, but you should definitely check out the Downward Spiral first. And maybe for most people who haven't, I mean, most people have listened to some Nine Inch Nails. I think you should probably start off with, like, Pretty Hate Machine and then move on to the downward spiral. <laughs> Pretty Hate Machine's a little bit more lighthearted, per se. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> but I think I've set my piece on this, really. Yeah. Well, it was good. I liked it. I like It's like an epic album, and so there's all this fun information around it. Yeah. I'm glad it's pretty well documented because there are some albums you kind of look up something on it, and there's nothing, which is really, really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy that there is so much on this. So we think everybody should listen to this at least once in their at life. At least once. It, <laughs> yes. It's so strange the way people listen to music nowadays. I think they're just more into these little quick little bites from an album or just a single song. I'm not mm-hmm. really too sure if younger kids could sit through this. I mean, it's not a long album. It's less than an hour, I think. But I, yeah, I would recommend it. To me, it's one of the most well-mixed, produced, albums I've ever heard and I don't think I'll ever hear anything this good again I don't know we'll see (laughs) we'll see (laughs) yeah anyway you could find me on Facebook at Glitch Unicorn on Facebook and also on Glitch Unicorn all over the place so Elaine (laughs) and then I'm on Instagram as sister.santos and as wellness as art, if you're into holistic health. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yes. Awesome. All right. Next week. Thank you. Thank you.